You're listening to the RUV English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is slash English. Hello, welcome to the RUV English podcast. I'm Darren Adam. Thank you very much for your company and an episode of the podcast that I've been especially looking forward to them all, of course, but this one particularly today because we have a chance to investigate a form of music which is very, very particularly Icelandic. And as we suggested last week, at the end of the programme, maybe a kind of music that could only really have come from Iceland. We're talking about a form of folk music called Rimur. We touched on this briefly last week, we being myself and my guests during these episodes. That is music journalist Lydia Athanasopoulou, who joins me from Siglifjörður once again. Uh, Rimur, a kind of folk music which, as we said, is, is very, very and um, almost uniquely Icelandic. And some of the genres we've discussed have a much shorter Kind of temporal history than this one. We we really are going back some distance in time, aren't we, with Rimur? Indeed. Uh, I'm also very excited about this episode, um, like you said, to talk about uh, Rimur, um, which, like you said, we are we will be going back a few centuries, uh, mm. mainly because uh, Rimur, uh, you know, has been a mainstay of epic poetry in Iceland for centuries. So uh, in Icelandic literature, uh, Rima is an epic poem um, which is rhymed, alliterated, and usually consists of two to four lines per stanza. And, um, you know, some of the oldest uh, Rima songs go back to the 14th century. Um, and some of the poems, um, they're part of the, the larger tradition of uh, the Icelandic sagas, which of course helped establish, you know, the, the, the modern, the modern uh, concept of, of a novel. Mm. Um, and Iceland does have a, a long tradition of of epic poetry and uh, uh, of of writing epic stories. Uh, you know, obviously relating to their their history, whether that's the the civil war, um, you know, back in the fourteenth fourteen hundreds, or then whether it's um, documenting the, their pantheon of the of Norse mythology and everything. So yeah. it does date back a long time and. Because, because for a long time, uh, these traditions were passed on uh, orally. Um, they hadn't been written down for centuries and centuries. So as is very typical of uh, traditions that are passed on orally, they do change a little bit over time and they do evolve. And uh, they, they pick up elements as, as mm. time goes by. And uh, even dating back to the 1600s, there are at least 78 known uh, Rimur. Uh, documented uh, about 138 from the 17th century, 248 from the 18th century, 505 moving on. So as we see, as time goes by, these become more popular uh, and more popular. Sure. I think we need to illustrate this really quite quickly out of the gates with an example, with a piece of music, so we get a sense of what we're talking about here. Because unlike jazz, which we've discussed in electronic music, you might not immediately have, if you've never heard Rimo, you probably don't have a sense of how it sounds. So where shall we start with an example and what are we going to hear? As a foreigner, it's possible that people uh, have either maybe come across Rimo singing or perhaps not at all. Uh, definitely, if you are a local, an Icelander, then from a young age, uh, even as a child, you, uh, you, you do end up knowing these songs because a lot of them ended up becoming nursery rhymes. They're connected to religion, passion hymns. Uh, they were traditionally sung by, uh, you know, fishermen and farmers in the countryside. So um, 
a lot of these songs ended up becoming sort of the canon for mm-hmm. for Icelandic uh, singing and Icelandic poetry and uh, Icelandic music making. Um, if we were to select just one, uh, I think that would be very hard because a lot of them are so popular uh, among Icelanders. So um, I figured we could start with one of my favorites, um, which is called Upihawa uh, Havrinum. And it talks about um, it talks about someone coming across a uh, a woman uh, who is a hidden person, the uh, Huldurfolk, Huldurkona, uh, and uh, how he hears her, her beautiful singing. Um, and this is from the Bjarni Thornstensen collection, and we'll, we'll get to him uh, in a minute. Um, but to begin with, yeah, we could start with uh, th- this song, which I think also illustrates, it, it mentions singing, it mentions uh, the Hulturfolk, the hidden people. So I think it, it highlights a little bit what some of the themes would have been uh, back in the day. Before we heard that clip of music, you used the verb talk twice, which I thought was interesting. You say this song talks about, it talks about. And I thought that was significant because these are stories and they're, they're passed on orally in the way that many stories would be. Musically, this is quite minimal stuff, isn't it? I don't mean in a Steve Reich sense. So it's there's there's much, much, much more focus on the lyric, perhaps, than what is happening musically here. Indeed, indeed. Uh, so, as you said, with oral traditions, um, one, one of the things about uh, Rimur is uh, because a lot of the time, especially back in the day, uh, it was just singing. There was there were no instruments accompanying the music. Um, as you said, there's a lot of focus on the voice. Uh, there's a lot of focus on the lyrics and also how those lyrics are constructed. So there's a, a specific way of constructing a Rimur song uh, because it's based in poetry. So... Uh, there are, I believe there's a course at Hauskoli Islands, uh, which looks at the construction of uh, Rima uh, poetry and then songs. Um, there's specific styles of alliteration, uh, specific meters. So it's, uh, it, it, upon first listening, it may sound maybe a bit uh, crude, one might say, especially some of the older recordings. Um, you know, it's just, just a voice, rather dry. But um, once you start, sort of analyzing it and unpacking it it's incredibly interesting uh, the way it's constructed and also the themes that are covered and also the the uh, i would say the historical significance of them because uh, so traditionally these songs were sung in the badstova in the communal spaces the turf houses where people used to live and they were a way of not only uh, entertaining uh, you know each other and sort of singing to each other or or reading poetry to each other you know during the dark cold, long winters, but they were also a way of passing down uh, cultural heritage, 
you know, cultural and national identity, uh, you know, historical facts. There's a lot of references, of course, to the sagas, um, but also just uh, songs about, you know, being tuchler, being hardworking, and uh, their love songs, uh, songs for sailors, drinking songs. Uh, one of my favorites is about the coming of spring, signaled by the singing of the loa bird, the golden plover, which is the national bird of Iceland. But of course, references also to elves and trolls and hidden pe people, mythological creatures. And they also tend to be quite secular and sometimes even humorous. And so this is also uh, very interesting to look at. Um, and perhaps why I do say talk uh, is because they often pack a lot in uh, with beautiful metaphors, uh, references to nature, um, sort of phrases that are very typical of the Icelandic language. So they would be quite hard to, to translate. Um, so I think language is a huge, the Icelandic language, obviously, in particular, is is a huge part of this uh, tradition. So it, it, it also helps preserve the language and, and how the language is connected to the people who created it. And those who have preserved it as well. We heard a piece of music from the Bjarni Thorsteinsson collection, as you described it. Now, he collected Icelandic folk music. It was published at the, the early 1900s. He is well known in Siglafjörður history. You are joining us from Siglafjörður. So tell me about this really important figure. He wasn't the composer of the music, but without his intervention, I guess a lot of it wouldn't be known. Absolutely. And I I have to say, Bjarni Thornstensson, I think, is uh, probably my favourite character uh, so far from Icelandic history. Um, uh, obviously, you have the sagas and other writers and poets and musicians and everything, but I, I find his work so significant and so Bjarni Thornsteinsson he he came from a very poor family from a rather from a large family he was the eldest of 13 children if I remember correctly and and he taught himself how to play uh, the pipe organ which was his favorite instrument um, he put himself through school while working at the same time and he loved folk music songs he you know his mother used to sing these to him as a child and they even say of Bjarni that he needed to hear a song just once and he could memorize it and he ended up uh, in Siglafjordur um, in the sort of uh, early 1800s. And uh, he was instrumental in the town history. Uh, you know, for, he helped build better school for the children and better water facilities. He helped organize the fishing workers. So he's significant to this town in that respect. But he's significant to the whole of the country because for 25 years, he traveled around the country uh, talking with people and documenting uh, these songs. And almost all of them, if if not, the yeah, I would say the majority of them hadn't actually been written down then because of this oral tradition. And um, when he was teaching himself how to play the harmonium, he noticed that all the songs he was learning how to play were basically uh, foreign or Danish. And he said, how come we don't have, uh, you know, sheet music for our own music? Mm. And so... He, he thought this was kind of weird. And then he he asked around in Reykjavik and, and people said, well, these are songs, you know, sung by fishermen and they're a bit crude and, and uh, you know, some of them are about drinking and, and we don't really need to document these songs. And back then they were still also, it was very much a living tradition. So yeah. they didn't think that it was something that might fade away. Um, wonder, do you think that was more important, the sense that because of the way they were being transmitted from generation to generation at the time, they felt, well, it's fine. The history of these is going to be secure anyway. Or was it more important, as you suggested, for people to think, well, 
these songs just aren't very good or aren't very important. We don't need to preserve them. What do you yeah. think? Or was it a combination of the two? It was a, I think it was a combination of the two. On the one hand, like you said, uh, and also because Rima uh, has been around, for, had been around that point for centuries, uh, they, it's possible they thought, well, we've had them for so long. Why, why would they fade away now? Um, but at the same time, at that time, you know, Iceland was under Danish rule. And so the elites and the upper classes in Reykjavik who might have been in charge of publishing or, you know, mm -hmm. deciding what what needs to be preserved or exported. They they found these songs rather harsh and, and uh, a little too commonplace, that might, I think might be the word. Uh, but Bjarnik, you know, coming from a poor background and being self-taught uh, also and, and having learned these songs from a young age. I think he saw the value in in preserving them and in in actually documenting them. I think probably because he just wanted to be able to play them himself on the yes. harmonium. <laughs> um, so, and once he started this project, people learned about it, and so people started yeah. sending him sending songs in. And he he made a note of all the variations that might exist, difference in speed, different in lyrics, depending yeah. on where the song is coming from and being sung. And uh, it's a it's an absolutely massive book. I think it's more than 500 pages uh, big. Mm -hmm. um, it's a total doorstep. And he did actually go to Reykjavik and ask to get it published, but uh, that he was rejected. And at some point he went to Denmark uh, where he was studying Old Norse scripts and uh, he approached the Carlsberg Foundation, like the beer. And in a very, in a very ironic twist, I think, Denmark said yes to publishing these these folk songs, whereas the Icelanders <laughs> who had looked to Denmark for sort yes, of more sophisticated... Yes. Uh, art forms said no and uh, so yeah between 1906 and 1909 the first edition was published and I love the it, idea as well that he fundamentally decided to do this as much as for any other reason because he wanted to play the songs himself he I wanted to so. have access yeah. to them it puts me yeah. in mind of um, in a very different context Tony Wilson who was the boss of New Order's label Factory Records mm -hmm. the only reason that New Order released a greatest hits compilation when they did was that he wanted to have them all in one place so you could play them in the car. Originally, Bjarni wanted to be a he wanted to be a lawyer um, uh, or, or uh, yeah he wanted to be a lawyer or a musician. He was learning music was very difficult, and he didn't even have his own pipe organ. He he found a kind gentleman in Reykjavik who said you can come to my house and teach yourself on my pipe organ. And then uh, when he decided to become a reverend. Um, I was talking to um, one of the other people who works at the local folk music centre here mm -hmm. in Sikafjordur, uh, dedicated to Bjarni Fonsnesson. Um, and it's, it's, it's housed in the house he actually lived in. Uh, and uh, four of his five children were born in this house. And it's right across from my house. And uh, that's where the centre, the music centre is, is, is based. And I was talking to one of the other people working there. And, and they mentioned that when he was offered a job as a reverend that he was offered in two different locations and one of them being Siklafjordur and he said yes to Siklafjordur because there was a pipe organ in our church okay. so he came here so that he could make sure he could play the pipe organ and his wife was actually ended up being the organist for the church uh, and he he actually served this town for over 50 years and his book um, is unfortunately not translated yet into English mm. but it has I think ethnomusicologically it's very very important because he did manage to document uh you know these these yeah. these style and he didn't just document the sheet music he had extensive notes about everything surrounding it and a really important figure as we said then not just in the history of Siglifjörður but of the country as a whole that's Bjarni Thorsteinsson
I want to turn to Eliovird Eliovson, who is a singer here in Iceland and in many parts of Europe. But he doesn't just sing, he has a degree in ethnology and folklore. So he knows of that which he sings, I imagine. Indeed, indeed. Eulver uh, has also worked here at the uh, Folk Music Centre, the Fjordlagasetur, uh, Bjarni Thornstenson Fjordlagasetur, here in Seglfjörður, and that's where I actually met him. Mm. And uh, aside from being an absolutely fantastic oratorio singer, um, absolutely beautiful angelic voice, uh, and uh, also very knowledgeable about music in general, and has studied abroad and been very active in all, all manner of music making um, in Iceland and abroad. Uh, one of the things that he did through his um, through his degree was uh, researching the topic of the Icelandic langspil, uh, which is the sort of Icelandic version of the Norwegian drone sitar uh, that, of course, has siblings all around the world. Mm. And um, connected to uh, Rima singing is is the langspil or the Icelandic fiddler which are both rather rudimentary. Uh, the fiddler is a rudimentary version of a fiddler. It's just two metal wires on a on a wooden box. Um, and the langspiel makes an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous sound. And uh, lucky for everyone, Eilvur sort of spotted that and had an interest in how this instrument came to Iceland, how it evolved in Iceland, how it accompanied uh, Icelandic music. And so he um, he not only plays it, uh, and teaches uh, children how to play it. He, as far as I know, he's also working on a sort of make-your-own-langspiel kit, which I think is great because there's not a lot of them surviving anymore. You you can find one uh, here in the Fjordlagasetur, but I think also in the National Museum. Um, so his working on that, his working on this is, I think, a very important part of preserving this this music and making sure it continues to be a living tradition and and not something to be kept in a museum and observed like sure. a, a relic of the past. Well, it's to be listened to, which is what we're going to do now. Which piece are we going to hear? So um, I didn't manage to actually find a specific song where Avi is playing uh, the Langspiel, but I did find a really moving version of a, a popular folk song called uh, Stördum Tvi Ituni, um, which is from the Bjarni Thornstenson collection, which I think has over 130 songs in total. So. The, the Bjarni collection is vast. Um, and this is performed by uh, Ryan Coons on a langspiel that he built himself. And it's um, yeah, very, one of the very popular um, songs from the collection and definitely one of my favorites. Oh. 
I want to turn to a name that might just be familiar with or to those who are even peripherally acquainted with Rimur already, Steindor Andersen. Tell me about him. So, yeah, Steindor Andersen is probably the most uh, famous representer of singing uh, Rima music. Um, he's excellent at his craft and he he was already uh, you know popular in iceland for this tradition but he he probably rose to international fame because he ended up uh, working with uh, sigurdos and hilmar Ern hilmarsson mm. um who was also famously in, in psychic tv and and has done um, mo movie soundtracks and uh, i think he's still head of the ausatrofelagið rimur like we said earlier are epic tales that are alliterated the sort of rhyming ballads usually a cappella and uh, Steintor does this absolutely fantastically, and he's he's studied it deeply. And um, they often employ complex metaphors, cryptic rhymes, and uh, a lot of the songs from the Bjartni uh, collection are well known, and they've been reimagined by various uh, singers, including Björk, mm -hmm. uh, on one of her records. Um, but yeah, Steintor Andersen is is most well known for for singing these. And um, he, he does a, a fantastic job of it. And, and I think one of the reasons why I like it so much is because he does, he, he has done collaborations where uh, it's sort of Rima and other types of music, but he has uh, records and he has performed strictly Rima the way it probably was one, 200, 300 years ago. And um, I think it's it, it, as great as it is, of course, to have evolution of music and, and have old traditions transferred to a contemporary age, I think it is also important to be able to uh, have examples of, of any tradition in its purest form. And I think Steintor does this really fantastically. Oh, 
It's quite incredible that we are three weeks in and the first mention of Sigaros was just a few moments ago before that piece of music. That was Steindor Andersen and he is also a familiar name if you examine the credits and indeed listen to, for example, the Sigaros album uh, Odin's Raven Magic, which is a live album, a live recording from I think about 10 years ago. He appears on there along with Hilmar Un, uh, Hilmarsson and various other performers. Um, as well. So he probably is the most likely, I would say, Lydia, to be known by those with a, a passing interest in women. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I first, I think the first, um, Stendor Andersen was the first musician that I found out about uh, in connection to Rimur, also because of the connection to Zigoros, but because he, he is also very well known and he has made an effort to record a lot of these songs and be member of you know various Rima singing groups around the country. Okay, I want to turn to another project which is involved in the preservation of music, which would once have been transmitted intergenerationally in an oral fashion. This is Spilmen Rikinis, uh, right. performed here on Roof on more than one occasion. Tell me about that. Indeed, indeed. So... Like I mentioned in one of the previous episodes, a lot of the uh, music or artists I'm including is uh, because of, you know, empirical, uh, <laughs> an empirical situation. So the same way I met uh, Egelwur at the Folk Music Centre and found out about his uh, Fab Lab Langspiel project where he he um, teaches and builds Langspiel for children. Um, at, in the same way, I also met uh, Austa, who also works at the Folk Music Centre in the summers. And uh, she is um, part of Spilmen Rikinis, and it is actually a family project. So it's her parents, uh, herself, and her brother, I believe it's the four of them. 
and they play uh, traditional instruments, medieval instruments. They also obviously play the Langspiel and I believe the Fiddler. Uh, she mentioned to me that her, her grandfather was a carpenter and would make also instruments. She has a Langspiel that her father uh, built for her. So they actively keep the uh, folk music tradition alive here in Iceland and, and they have performed, like you said, on Ruv and on, on TV. And um, they have uh, they have a beautiful uh, record where they, uh, which came out a couple of years ago, um, where they do uh, do their own versions of uh, traditional folk songs, and they do it very very well. And in the video projections that are included in the museum, uh, her parents are actually in some of those videos. So mm -hmm. they uh, you know they're obviously very well established in this this uh, segment of Icelandic music, and they know what they're doing and. Uh, it's just really beautiful and, and the instruments they play are very interesting and all of them have beautiful voices. And um, so the song that uh, I selected was from uh, this recent album of theirs where they cover uh, folk songs uh, from the Bjarni collection. Um, the song I picked is called uh, Laikurin, The Stream. And um, I think if you look at the lyrics, they're just absolutely so beautiful. It's It's quite melancholic. And it's about how things change and, and it talks about how the town uh, has changed and how memories fade and how we grow old. And it says, uh, So nothing is like it was before. And uh, uh, it says, uh, Now nothing is like before. I see the difference in everything. And I think essentially the stream is a metaphor for the passage of time and how everything mm. is in flux. And I think that's just, that encapsulates folk wisdom for you perfectly. And it encapsulates, I think, the way Icelanders are so in, so much impacted by their natural surroundings and nature that it, it sort of feeds in, it helps feed their philosophy of life and how they view life. And I think that's why Rima are also so beautiful and important because the way they document things might be quite simple or might, might just be a metaphor, you know, referencing a bird or a stream or or you know fishing but it really does reflect what the Icelandic identity has been about for so many centuries even though that's changing now quite rapidly and I think that's why it's important to preserve them because it it highlights the Icelandic identity in a way that other music styles do not. <laughs> Sumar blainum. Áður hér ég dvaldi Saklaust barnel létta lund Og leggina mína taldi Skreti, 
kjerti eins og fyrr. Á öllu sé ég muni. Löngu tindir leggirnir og litli bærinn fruni. Æskan hverfur indið vík, allt er líkt og draumur. Áfram líður æfi mín, eins og lækjar straumur. Meðan æðum iljar blóð og andin mási hræra, skal ég syngja lítil ljóð, læknum silfur tæra. Þegar ég er uggeðin og eitt hef kröftum mínu. Langar mig í síðsta sín að sopna bökkum þín. Spillman Rikinis, and we, I guess, now move to a special form of Icelandic singing, which is, again, very particular. We, we've talked a lot about Rimo. We're going to turn to Tvisomi, uh, which literally means duet. Either Fimunun Dasomi, quintuplet or quintuplet. And when you put those two things together, you end up with a very particular form of Icelandic music, duets sung in fifths with voices crossing over each other. We won't get too far into the weeds um, of what is meant by singing in fifths or a piece of music being in fifths, but it is uh, it's something that you recognize it when you hear it, overlay that on duets and you end up with this very particular form, don't you? Indeed, indeed. So, uh, like you said, tvisungur, uh, so basically double singing or duet, is another um, traditional form of Icelandic singing alongside rima. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of the rima songs can, uh, you know, are tvisungur at the same time. And uh, so they're called tvisungur or fimudagsungur, uh, so yeah, quintuplet, so five fifth, fifth part songs. And it's a sort of variant of two-part singing, which is characterized by singing in fifths and the fact that the voices cross so one singer will start uh, perhaps low and the other one will or, or on one um, part of the music scale and the other one on another and then they as the song as they keep singing then they change and they, okay. they so one starts places. high one starts low but they move through the scales exactly exactly it's it's very hard to sing i have tried um <laughs> and 
because like we said a lot of these folk songs are very popular um around the country either from popular singing or from nursery rhymes or or you know just hearing it from one's grandparents for example or something um some Tvisungar are quite uh, well known around the country and there have been many versions and, uh, you know, Björk's song Vesur Vat Senta Rosu from her 96 uh, album Possibly Maybe included um, uh, Tvisungar uh, by that name and, um, and uh, sometimes foreigners and even tourists, uh, when they come to the Folk Music Centre and they see Tvisungar written, they say, oh, I know what that is. It's that sculpture in Seydisfjordur, <laughs> um, which is a famous concrete sculpture by yeah. a, a Berlin artist called uh, Lukas Kuhne. Uh, and it's sort of an, an interactive sculpture um, where the idea is that you can, uh, it's got a beautiful reverb sound and and it's, I guess, the idea is that it, you're, it, you're able to um, achieve the sort of harmonies that you yes. achieve in, in Tvisunger singing. Um, and one project that sort of uses this technique is a, a folk pop duo called Ilya, uh, formed in 2008 um, by guitarist and singers uh, Kikia and Pjartney. And um, they have a lot of, you know, folk pop uh, music, but then they have one album called Taichtur, uh, which is a collection of folk songs. And it's very dreamy and beautiful and sort of folk music interpreted in a contemporary way. And uh, they they have a couple Tvisungur on this record. And one of the most famous Tvisungur songs, uh, people might not know is a Tvisungur, but it is, is Omin Flaska Frida. Um, and I, that's why I have selected uh, that as the song to play, because I think uh, people will probably uh, recognize it and say, oh yeah, I know what a Tvisungur is. I, I've heard it quite often. And uh, yeah, it's a famous drinking song, <laughs> but it's incredibly beautiful. And uh, however many times I hear it, I just love it every time I hear it.
Home in Flasken Frieder by Ilya from the album Daitur. And Lydia, you um, said, of course, a few moments ago that this type of music, this type of singing is very hard to perform. That hasn't stopped you from very kindly offering to sing a song for us today. I'm joking, of course. Um, <laughs> I, I, I won't perform for you now, but I will just say that um, uh, there are Rima singing groups around mm -hmm. Iceland. Uh, the largest one is obviously in Reykjavik, and they uh, just in February they had a day of performances that lasted pretty much all day, and it included you know well-established Rima, sing Rima singers, but also uh, more contemporary artists from other fields of music uh, coming together. And um, even though in a way they are very well known around the country, um, just because they are the folk music of of Iceland. Um, I'm not sure they are as popular as they used to be, um, mainly because back in the day they were sung by regular folk. Now it's mainly musicians focusing on it. Um, and what I, I would like to say is I, I would encourage people to seek out these either concerts or the Rima singing groups. We have one here in Fjallabyggð between Siglafjörður and Olafsjörður, and um, they have recorded uh, an album with folk songs uh, and if you just go to Spotify and type in Rima, R-I-M-A, it will show up. It's sort of like a blue cover with mountains. Mm. Um, and uh, we, during COVID, this group kind of uh, was on hiatus for a little bit, but hopefully it's starting up and we do have weekly meetings where we get together okay. and sing and they teach us these traditions. Well, we shall stick a link to that Spotify page onto the article accompanying this episode of the Roof English podcast, and just a linguistic point, Rima, of course, the plural of Rimur, as we've been told. Absolutely, talking. yes, so it just exactly. Means, it means the songs, doesn't it, or, or these, these songs at least. Lydia, thank you very much indeed. Look forward to that performance at some point on a future episode, but maybe maybe not today, as we're a little bit out of time. But thank you very much for that, Lydia Athanasopoulou music journalist in Siglafjörda, taking us through yet another genre of music and its place in Icelandic musical history. We we stay with vocal performances to an extent next week. We look we look at and listen to Icelandic choir music, but also that brings us into the world of classical music as well in Iceland. And if you expect the name Jon Leifs to appear, you're right, he will. It's the Roof English podcast. Get in touch anytime, English at ruv.is. <laughs> Listening to the Roof English podcast. To hear more and for all the news from Iceland in English, just head to ruv.is/english.